It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be looking ahead to Saturday's game against Bournemouth at the Cottage. Is it a must win? Feels a bit strong to say it's a must win. It would be very, very nice to win is maybe the phrase that feels more accurate. In today's podcast, we'll look ahead to that game. We'll do the final words on Burnley. We'll also look back in a bit more detail, a bit more of a broader view at the transfer window. We only made one signing, but there's still lots of talking points that came out of the 31 days in January. And I'm joined today and delighted to be... And I'm joined today, delighted to say, by the regular Thursday club, Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, listeners. How are we doing? Good, thank you. And Peter Rutzler is back. Hello, Peter. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Jack. Hello, everyone. How are we doing? We all good? Yeah, great. Good to have you back. It is good to have you back. It's not my first one of the year. I did one at the start of the window, didn't I? I vaguely remember. But yeah. Yeah, right at the top. Yeah. No, it's been a while. Good to have you, uh, Peter, um, especially because it is the Peter Rutzler derby this weekend. So how could we not uh, get you on for your very own derby? You, of course, um, were the most controversial transfer ever between uh, Bournemouth and Fulham uh, back in the day, as uh, people might remember. Um, so it's good, it's good to get you back for, for your own derby. Have, have you been looking forward to it? Have you had a lot of messages in the build-up? Uh, no, not really. It's not circled in the calendar anymore. Um <laughs> I don't think people really care that much, to be honest. But um, <laughs> no, yeah, it's uh, yeah, interesting, in- interesting one. It was, I think it was, it was quite fun when Scott Parker was down there as well because it was just it was so much overlap and it was great. But they got you know, Parker, was- we got Rutzler. I think we got the better. <laughs> I was um, speaking to uh, Sam Davis, who does the Back of the Net Bournemouth podcast um, earlier, and he put it perfectly. He said, um, Bournemouth and Fulham's 
relationship is now uh, two people that went out with the same person, but now that's both of their exes. And at the time, Fulham tried to warn Bournemouth. No, no, honestly, you're making a mistake, but they didn't want to hear any of it. And now they can meet up over a pint and uh, and agree with each other that actually... Um, maybe they're better off after all. Um, we'll come on to Bournemouth in a little bit. Let's do the final words on uh, Saturday's two-all draw at Burnley. Um, Jack, obviously, you did a great job with the with the boys um, dissecting. <laughs> it's not how I would put it. Yeah, I mean, if less said about the podcast title, uh, the better. But you know, it was um, it was it was a cathartic listen after what was a, a frustrating draw. I mean, Peter, with a, with a bit of time to kind of think about it obviously in the moment I was quite angry that Fulham had somehow thrown that away but we just need to keep our head above water here and it's disappointing individual errors are to blame clearly but I don't know I I felt like there were some quite hot takes after Saturday trying to find a trend trying to find someone at fault and short of Bert Leno coming for a cross that he was never going to get I don't feel like there is any need for a massive investigation other than we've just got to cut out mistakes. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't there on, on Saturday and I hate not being there, but it did mean that I, I had to, uh, you know, watch it, I suppose, through the mean, the medium of social media. And I could see the sort of collective kind of meltdown after full time um, online, which did feel uh, a little extreme. Obviously it's, it's, it's felt more acutely when you throw away a two 0 lead, you know, in the, in the closing stages of the game. Um, coming back off the, the back of a window, and obviously there's a lot of tension around the window and what Fulham could and couldn't have, couldn't do during that time, and I think that all plays its sort of role in it. Um, uh, to, to be honest, I, I think there were elements that were encouraging from the first half, um, particularly the fact that Fulham scored twice in quick succession, particularly scoring from a set play, which Fulham haven't done as much as they did last year, and that can be a real game changer for a side that you know, do create chances, but, you know, are always better when the other team are chasing the game. You know, we talk about game state all the time, but game set plays are such a key weapon now. And we see that across the Premier League with the number of specialist set play coaches to throwing coaches now. It's, it's, it's huge. Um, and then, you know, obviously Rodrigo Moon is scoring, how important that is. You know, even though we've got Amando Breuer coming in, you know, just having Moon is, scoring a goal his first Premier League goal I think that's and making him feel like he can do it at, at this level is is important um but then you know the flip side is the second half and then the nature in which the the game got away from Fulham again we, it's not the not the first time we've we've seen that happen um and I think that's you know you're going to be understandably worried and concerned about that particularly against a Burnley team that haven't really impressed you didn't don't necessarily seem to necessarily have the, the tools to mount these kind of comebacks and that's that's a huge frustration and and you know we, when you actually look at Fulham's results this is pr- a pretty bad patch at the moment you know the Arsenal win aside and the run in the League Cup Fulham haven't won since the back-to-back 5-0 wins um, in the league and it, it it builds the pressure, you know Everton was a game Fulham want to win at home Burnley's a game you want to win away um Bournemouth is a game you want to win at home because then the fixtures get a bit a bit tougher. So I think all of that plays a part in why everything felt a bit more frantic than it did. But to get to the bottom line of it is how serious it. I'm you know I, I don't think it's it's a, a massive concern. I don't feel like that's the case, and I, I think the reaction was understandable, but probably a little little hot, a little hot for my liking. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the flip of it is that obviously, are we ever going to have a better opportunity to win and break that turf more curse? 
than what we had on Saturday. And that's obviously a frustration in itself. Like this is a team we've lost to without them having a shot on target at Turf Moor. So to be 2-0 up and throw it away and not be able to actually finally put that to bed is a frustration. I think the other thing with it is that if Fulham had won at the weekend, I would have probably gone out on a limb to say, I think it's done. I think we're safe. Just in terms of the way that the bottom is there and, and the teams and bodies that are in the way. And now that there isn't those, you know, extra two points, I know that sounds mad. We're talking about a two point difference, but I think it's just being in the vortex or out of the vortex. And I think that there feels like a, a kind of sentiment that I was like, oh, we're still on the edge of that. And with Luton going on this kind of chaotic sandstorm run of, of scoring one, shed loads of goals and two, actually pulling out some very impressive results. It's not necessarily a question of whether Luton stay up or not, because I don't think actually is the difference here. I think it's the difference of whether that spurs on the teams around them. And I'm not talking really about Burnley or Sheffield United. I'm talking about the fact that we're looking at your Nottingham Forest and your Everton's and going, if they're seeing Luton start to pick up those points, surely the key element there is you go, oh, are they starting to jump up on Fulham? And I think if Luton hadn't gone on this barnstorming run, then actually it would have probably been finished because I don't think it would have inspired anyone else to get out of the mix. Now, I think there's enough teams between us and I think there's worse teams. I think Burnley not winning at home against us is pretty much curtains for them. And them and Sheffield United, I think, are gone. There's only one spot now. And I think that there are teams worse than Fulham, including Crystal and Palace, the, who are in a bit of a hole. But and yeah. there's a points deduction. Element, and there's a potential you know? points deduction. Yeah, you of know, course, all of these things. That, so. But I don't want to be relying on that, especially if we don't know until May. The last thing in the world we need to be doing is worrying about where Fulham are. Look, if we have to go into a final day game against Luton needing something, I'm uncomfortable. Deeply oh, uncomfortable. That's mad. I, I do not want that. Exactly. I, so I'm basically being like, can we pull ourselves out? And so a game like this game against Bournemouth, as good a form as they've been in, and look, it's a bit different in that they started really badly and then started picking up points. Bournemouth are widely seen as having a relatively good season. And they're what? A point above Fulham? A win in this game would take Fulham above Bournemouth? And so there's that kind of optic level of, of where we are and what we're doing as well. And I think that that's important here. And that's why I think this is one of those games you're like, just win it and it's probably enough to see you over the line, especially with a bad run, as Peter mentioned, coming along. I mean, Peter, one thing that also came out of my chat with Sam from, from back of the net was he's like, there's a point between Bournemouth and Fulham, yet the difference in attitudes, you know, he said, like, I look at Fulham and fans and they're all talking about looking over their shoulders and stuff. And Bournemouth are really up looking up the table. They're looking at, right, how can we gate crash the top 10? But I did say, like, I mean, that's just contrasting form, right? Yes, there's not, there's nothing between Bournemouth and Fulham right now in terms of points in the table. But yeah, when you contrast the couple of months they've had and then the couple of months we've had it's no surprise really that that one fan base is 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 getting more nervous than the other yeah it's perception isn't it I mean Fulham last year at this point you know we're up near top six seven um <laughs> um so it yeah this season hasn't gone the same way it hasn't been at that same same level and it, it did peter out at the end of last season Bournemouth you know as Jack mentioned started really slowly been on a terrific run I don't think they've. I don't think they've won since they beat Fulham. So they're not. They're not flying right now. Um, so maybe their perceptions might twist a little bit if if they get a negative result on on Saturday. But yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It's just it's just a matter of how everyone perceives things to be going, and that doesn't just apply to the games around certain fixtures. It, it can also feel like you know the longer term and 
you know, are, are, are the teams stepping forward? Is it, is this progression? Is it not? What, where are we going kind of thing? And, and, and I think there's been so much discussion that's not necessarily about what's on the field and that that can color the, the, the immediate games too. So that also plays a part, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, Jack, I felt like Saturday was mostly a good performance. I, for, for the, for, for 70 minutes. 70 minutes, yeah. There was a lot to be um, very excited about. Um, let's come on to Breuer and and his performance. I thought it was I thought it was quiet. I don't think he had a huge impact. I thought there was glimpses of something there. And I mean, we can't have expected too much a day after arriving um, to Fulham. He, he, he must have been learning names by the time he was, uh, he was on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, Dom said it on the podcast the weekend, he didn't look fit. And I think that might necessarily just be a bit of lack of match sharpness. Obviously, he's had not that many games um, in, in the wrong half of SW6 this season and also has been, you know, here and there in terms of injuries over the last year or so. So I think it's going to take some time for him to get up to match sharpness. And actually, I mean, I'm sure we do predicted lineups, but I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start here again, if he just gets that, uh, you know, that bit of time off the bench to get him up to speed. Also, Muniz didn't really do anything to warrant being dropped. So I think that he will, you know, there is that obviously caveat in the contract that we have to give him a certain amount of minutes in order to not pay a fee. So that will be at the back of people's minds. But yeah, he will play. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think <laughs> at some once, point he will have to play. I think once he starts playing and once he takes the number nine shirt, he'll keep it. But I think it might just be too early again this week for him to start. I'm not saying he will or won't. I'm just saying that I wouldn't be surprised if it flips out that way. I'm interested in lots of things. I'm interested in the way that Fulham look with a striker running in behind a little bit more because it's not something we've seen loads of. And that has been a key part of his game uh, at Southampton and then again at Chelsea. I'm interested in what it's mean. I said this on Monday about the who plays at right back because if we're going to start looking towards a more aerially targeted you know centre forward again does that open the door for Kenny Tete to take his spot back because that's something obviously we saw a lot of last year that mix up and, and match up between him and, and Alexander Mitrovic does that allow him to to find a space back into the squad uh, and I'm mostly interested in how you actually pronounce Armando Broya's name because my barber who's Albanian says is Broya you say Breuer, and he, on his own video, says Brozier. So I've no idea. Wait, what the wait, hang, is. hang on. Wasn't there a there, there was a post on the um, on the official club account? We can get this clarified right now. But he Do- said he said bro he said Brozier. I'm pretty sure in his first interview he says hi, I'm Amanda Brozier. Yeah, but, but hasn't, I think he said before that you can say both, and both right, is here fine. We, here, 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 we, here we go. I'm playing it into the microphone. Armando Breuer. Right, there we go. Armando Breuer. All right. <laughs> there we go. We'll Armando just keep Breuer. repeating it and it'll just you know, get stuck in everyone's mind. So we're going yeah, with Breuer. Fine. Breuer. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I think it's good. These are important things. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm still fairly sure that about 32% of the Fulham fan base still don't know how to spell Jalpalinia. So. Or say it. <laughs> hey, hey, we, we could have this debate all day. Um, Peter. Transfers, it'd be interesting to just hear your take. It was another late one for you. Um, Fulham love a deal sheet, don't they? Um, deal sheet FC, honestly. <laughs> maybe, uh, they just, maybe they just got a load of them and you just got to use them. So, you know, just every window just got to use them out. Like, don't waste paper. 
<laughs> it's a green initiative. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to see like um, the athletic kind of, uh, I assume they must track your laptop or who's logging on when or whatever. It must be every transfer deadline day that poor old Peter Rutzler, the Fulham correspondent, has to go to bed last every single time. Um <laughs> I mean, well, Fulham- I, I mean, now because I go, we tend to go into the office for deadline day because it's busier and there's more people around. And if you need to speak to someone, you know, it's easier. Um, but I think what's catching on is that there's a recognition that Fulham do a lot late because I tend to be one of the last to leave. But also, there's a sort of fear that if your club is also involved with Fulham, that also means you're staying with me. So obviously, <laughs> there was Simon Johnson with uh, Chelsea was, was the one staying up. So uh, yes, yeah, so unfortunately for him, he, he became acquainted with a, a late finish for deadline day. Um, how did you find it? I mean, Fulham said they weren't going to be busy and alas, they, they weren't. I guess a lot of fans though, interested to know what other avenues Fulham were pursuing because, because Breuer wasn't the only person that was, was targeted through the month. Um, there was obviously Andre, Cherky, um, who, who else kind of like came across your desk that was a potential near miss? I think, and um, you know, Marco Silva eventually spelled it out in his, his press conference. You know, Fulham were looking at two positions. One was a striker, as, as we all know, that's that's not new, and the other was a winger um, or a wide forward. I think someone to play to play in that sort of a tight line. Um, but once it became clear early in the window, I think we discussed this before that Fulham weren't going to spend the earth; they weren't going to invest much at all. Um, it, it was quite evident that not just not only would it be quiet, but also that if Fulham were to do anything, it would need someone to go, and that it was just a case of one out, one in. And, and we did see that with with Carlos Vinicius um, going to Galatasaray. Obviously, the Turkish window was slightly later, so it didn't need to sort of go through on deadline day. But I think there needed to be a sense that something was going to happen for for Breuer, for Breuer to come in. Um, I get the sense that I don't think Fulham would have done anything necessarily in January if if. Raul Jimenez hadn't got injured. That's my feeling on it. Um, I think there, I think there was a contentment with the way the squad was. I think with Andre, you know, that's been really well documented, and you know, he is he was and is a key target. But it was always sort of a target for if Palinia left rather than a player to complement the midfield. And to be honest, that made sense because you had a midfield that. It's pretty well stocked. It's probably Fulham's best position in terms of depth at the moment. I think you can make a case to say maybe Sasha Lukic could have gone out on loan and done something or or, or similar. Uh, and you can maybe go for the long term and, and that sort yeah, of element. I was going to say, it's, it's, a, it's a lack of succession planning because someone's going to have to come in and hit the ground running now if Pelinia does leave in the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, the only, I mean, it, once that decision was made about one in, one out, then I don't think it was going to happen. Um you know, Silver mentioned the financial point of view, and I mean, we could be here till till the end of the year trying to work out the the, the financial situation, and it's it's very difficult. I, I did a piece at the start of January, basically outlining what we knew when there was all the talk about FFP and how close Fulham were. Obviously, that's referring to last season's accounts, and we don't actually have last season's accounts. So again, it's a lot of it is just trying to piece together. Well, what have they spent? What does history tell us about how Fulham's finances are? And Fulham's finances tend to be that they'll get a Premier League payment. Most of that will go on wages, and then everything else is, is tends to be losses that Shahid Khan pays for. Um, that's kind of it with transfers. Um, obviously, this season there was Mitrovic, and he sold for forty-five million. Um, that will go onto this season's books, so not the books we were talking about 
earlier this month with FFP, which refers to, to last year. Um, but if you were to project it onto this season, which is what we all want to know, because we want to know well, what are they limited for, you then look at what they spent, and they spent about $65 million in the summer, um, which you then take... Amortized, the, right? Amort- yes, it's amortized over the length of the contracts. And then you factor in the number of new contracts that Fulham have also made and what that financial commitment does to their wage bill and the payments that go with that. It's a lot of unknowns. Um, so we can't, I can't say for certain, you know, was it FFP that stopped Fulham this year? I'd be surprised because the Mitrovic money was, was there. Um, and that should help them. And you consider that they finished 10th last year as, as well, which was the first year of a new television broadcast payment deal. So, Whatever it was, and it's harder to get a clear, you know, understanding of exactly what it is without knowing the numbers, particularly for last year, because it's just you're projecting so much. Um, the bottom line was that they weren't going to invest money; they weren't going to make that financial commitment th- this window. Um, so, um, yeah, so that led to the towards the end, and obviously Jimenez gets his hamstring injury. Um, I think I put in my piece; it's, it's at least a month uh, for Jimenez. It's not a short term one, that's for sure. Um, and he needed a striker because Carlos Vinicius, I think, it's, hasn't really lived up to the level I think we'd hoped. I think there's a lot. It's it's strange how he's evolved in terms of you know, well, could he could he get the starting position of Jimenez at the start of the season as we saw Jimenez's confidence drop? And but I think uh, in terms of his technical ability, he wasn't the man who was going to fill in that role longer term. Um, and then Rodrigo Muniz, who you know was great against Burnley and he's, he's earnest and hardworking and shows glimpses of, of brilliance, but he's very raw and hadn't actually scored in the Premier League. So I think once that happened, it's like, well, we you definitely need someone in. And then we got a deal with the Breuer deal, which reflected the sort of financial status of, of January, which was, yes, there's a, there's a four million pound loan fee, but you know, Fulham will not pay, will not have to pay that if he makes a certain number of appearances. Um, I think it's around 10, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, so yeah, that, that's how we got to that point. I mean, you mentioned about that Rand Cherky. I tried to check that. It was, that was played down to me. I, I've, I think there was definitely interest in a winger, but I think the, the flip side with a winger is you've got Wilson, who's got shoulder injury. who's coming back pretty soon. Uh, you've got a will be coming back after AFCON this weekend, the final, obviously they reached the final, which is terrific news for them, for, for him and, and Calvin Bassey. So it's not as acute in those areas. Um, but I think the the overriding conclusion for me anyway, and I think it'll be the same for, for most, is that there are still some long-term questions to resolve. The Mitrovic question still isn't really resolved, especially as Breuer is alone. There's no option. You know, Maybe it works out really well and he signs and it's and everyone's happy, but that's still something to resolve. Palina, there was the interest didn't materialise this window, but that's not to say it won't materialise in the summer. So then we go back to that issue again um, in in the summer. And then you've got um, obviously Tosin Adrabayo's contracts running out in the summer. Um, there are lots of different aspects. Williams, 35, 36, is still going great, which is brilliant, but you know won't go forever. Um, Tim Ream. So uh, you know there's um, there are, there are, there's work to do, I think, for the summer. And I don't know whether that played a part in the thinking for January and just go, well, we'll, we'll sort this in the summer where we know where we are. It does feel like Fulham... And, and look, it might work for a while, but eventually I guess the bubble will burst. Have an amazing ability to kind of put a sticking plaster on on their problems. And everyone's like, right, wh- when is this big summer going to come where everything's going to have to be kind of sorted out? Because it just feels like Fulham have this ability to go like, okay, no, it's fine. We've we've managed to 
come up with a short-term solution to that one, a short-term solution to that one, a short-term solution to that one. And it's, it's mostly working at the moment. I guess there is, and especially with the amount of older players that we've got on our squad, et cetera, Jack, but it does feel like maybe this summer is going to have to be the one, assuming we stay up, which is not 100% given, that we're actually going to have to make some tough calls and sell some big players and buy some big players. Yeah, like at some point we need to become a smart football club, right? If we want to sustain this and, you know, start to get in line with these things. And, and you know, Peter mentions it. We don't know the exact ins and outs of the finances here. But what we do know is that the ticket prices at the cottage are not touching these sides. And then this is why the debate is so fierce on that, of actually what this looks like. And there'll be plenty of people who will see these posts, will look at the protests, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and be like, well, if you want all these players and you want new players to sign, then you have, this is what you have to do. And one, it's just fundamentally untrue. And two, you have to look at the wider run elements of the football club in order to categorize that, right? So if Fulham continue to buy 30, 31 year old, 32 year old players with no resale value, then we're never going to make profits on players. So it's as simple as that. And that feeds this cycle of needing to scramble around for things. And actually, when you look at what, I know it's a cliche to say what Brentford and Brighton are doing, but actually I was going to point to Bournemouth because I think that when you look at what Bournemouth are doing in terms of the players that they've signed and turning into one of the younger squads within this division, you look at those players and you think, sell on value everywhere. Milos Kerkez at right back, Marcus Sanessi at centre-back. You're looking at a host of young players who you're going to go, either they're going to succeed or, or Bournemouth will be able to make a profit of them or both. And what Fulham are is the exact opposite end of that. And I understand that different managers like to work in different ways. And I'm not suggesting that Andoni Araiola is exactly the same as Marcus Silva because he's not. And they like to play with different kind of players. And Marcus Silva clearly rates experience and Premier League experience in particular in terms of the way the players he signs. But at some point, you have to think about what that means financially and understand that there has to be some sort of give and take between those two systems in order that Fulham can start to become profitable. And it's not about how many business lounges we can get into into the, the new Riverside stand, although that does help us, Tottenham. It's also about becoming sustainable within the squad ages on the pitch and becoming, you know, available to sell your players and, and being okay with that because you know that there are replacements. And this is what frustrated me about the entire Andre situation. I think you're sitting there looking currently at about £25 million for a player that I think is well within his rights to suggest that he might be Brazil's next number six. And Fulham are turning it down because they're worried about the fact that it might shift the dichotomies of midfield. No, if you bring in a player like Andre and you think, right, we've got a star here in the making and you've paid £25 million for him, then it's okay to sell Joao Polina in the summer. Now, I'm not saying they're the same player, they're not. But there is at least cover that allows a player to come in and Fulham not to be having to start from scratch when a key player leaves as we saw this summer with Alexander Mitrovic, because I tell you, if Polina had left and not Mitrovic, I think Fulham would be in the relegation scrap. And that's the problem because the key issue was not addressed at the top of the field when Fulham did go because there was no succession planning. And so if we look at Polina leaving this summer, which is a distinct possibility, and we bring someone in and look, I don't know if Andre is going to be available in the summer because I think that people are going to take notice of the fact that he's unbelievable. And I think it's wild, to be honest, that they haven't already. And I think that then if you bring in a player and you Fulham sign a, you know, a 30-year-old 
journeyman, a Scott McTominay figure playing number six on his own for Fulham, which I like, as in this gives me shivers, it's nightmares at night kind of stuff. I think that you're kind of looking at the idea that Fulham could collapse. And that is where I have real issues with the lack of succession planning. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the only thing that comes to mind as well, and I think has to be considered is, you put Palina on a what? He's on a five-year contract that you've extended at a higher wage, probably the highest earner at the club. Yeah, what if that interest doesn't wage, right? What if that what if that um interest doesn't rematerialize in the summer? And then you bring in Andre, who, as you say, is basically going to become Brazil's number six. Um, and you play a system where there's two, and they won't uh, those two players are not in the squad to 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 combine minutes, are they? It's not like Andre is like a Oh, I, I, wouldn't I, classify don't know. Him as a I think I think, I think they're di- I think they're different enough that you could play the two of them at the base. Of yeah, the I mean it'd be ideal. But then the other, the, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, you then add so you've paid for Andre, you put him on that salary, you pay Polina on that salary, and then you've also got, as we talked about, you've got to do a striker, you're going to have to do a winger, you've got to do a centre back as well. well. We keep saying, you know, there needs to be a big summer. Of course, there needs to be a big summer, but also mm-hmm. I think. It's not like, and this is where Fulham are hamstrung because they haven't done the, the, the sales or they haven't got these alternatives. And, you know, as you say, there isn't a resale. It's almost like a vicious circle in a way. Um, you don't allow yourself the wiggle room to do those other positions. And then you, you might do another short-term plaster in one of them and then that becomes a problem down the line. Like, I, I can kind of get it. Is, is the what best I'm time to start was yesterday. <laughs> the, yeah, the next course, best time to start is today like <laughs> that, as far as I'm concerned like they need to get out of this cycle there are some players with resale value though I mean we saw links today um, linking Robinson to Liverpool and, and that could be a, a, a significant financial boost and, and then and Fulham it, would have to spend quite significantly to, to buy another left back yeah. because there's no one in the squad willing to take that rental on this is the problem there are none of this so if a, the only player that I think has significant resale value where Fulham have already succession planned is Kenny Tete. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the only one. Within a contract to, but he with doesn't have that much resale value, actually. Well, anything's going to be a profit because he costs, what, £1.2 million. So, like, yeah, I think you could sell Kenny Tete for £8 million and people, the people buying him would get a steal and Fulham would be able to mark a significant profit on that as well. So... I think that I just the, just the, the point I'm making is like, if you look at how much Fulham spent last summer, it's about 65. The summer before that was about 70 to, I think it was about 80 overall when you include Lukic. Net? When, no, just out for the spending. So not just net. So obviously you can take off the, the Mitrovic element. But you, that's the bracket they're looking to spend, right? So, but it seems that way anyway. You then take, if you take 30 out, it's quite a significant chunk. And then you look at the positions. Is that the position you want to be spending that much of that budget going into a window? That's kind of the, that's the counterpoint, I think. Because you're not wrong. Like everyone can see that. We, Andre, signing Andre and having Andre and Palina would be fantastic. And it's the perfect succession planning. And if it was obvious that Palina would go in the summer, then great. But I think what we saw in January was, I think everyone expecting Palina to go and he didn't. And we look at Palina's age and he's 29. He's 29? Is he coming up to 29? It's around 29, 29, isn't it? Yeah. Are you, you going to get the same money for Palina? Well, I'm sure they should do. I'll get close to it, but I think there's an interest. I think there's an interesting element to that, which is not as straightforward. I think is what I would, or is what I'd suggest. But I don't disagree on the point that Fulham do need to do succession planning. They have the oldest average age. I did a piece this month, basically saying I think Fulham have the oldest average age starting eleven of any team in the top four divisions um, in England. So it's you know it's it's quite clear what they've been going for. It's quite clear what they've done, and it's it's worked because it's kept them in the Premier League, but. It, to sustain that it has to evolve you have to balance it and 
you know, I've put that to Marco Silva and he recognizes that, but it's, it's always, he comes back and he talks about balance. And I think Fulham have to do that because if they don't, then that pro- progress, as you say, Jack, is, is going to be, it's going to be difficult. And then you end up in a scenario where you do get stuck and suddenly you're falling again. All right. Well, look, we'll uh, take a break there afterwards. We'll look ahead to Saturday's game against Bournemouth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here on the Thursday Club with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzer. Thank you to Green King Sport as ever for backing the Thursday Club this season. Uh, if you can't uh, get to the cottage, then head to a Green King Sport pub instead. They'll be televising all of Fulham's fixtures uh, in the 23-24 season. But you might have to wait a little while to watch a Fulham fixture on the TV. There isn't one for about a month and a half. Uh, it's really after the Lord Mayor's show in here, isn't it? <laughs> little bit, little bit. I mean, look, I'm not, as a match going fan, I'm not complaining. Yeah. I'm happy to have some Saturday 3pms back in my life. It feels like it's been, uh, feels like it's been a while. It's enjoyable yeah. consistency, isn't it? Yeah. Some... I was looking at the calendar thinking, oh, this is, this is, this is so, I can predict things. <laughs> yeah. Old school, isn't it? it I mean, feels re- It feels really old school to have so many Saturday 3pms uh, in a row. But look, if you're uh at loose end this weekend, you want to go watch some of the other football that's on uh, on telly this weekend, head to a Green King Sport pub. And if you download the Green King Sports app, you'll be able to get 10% off your drinks during any televised fixture. So uh, yeah, download the app, grab 10% off your drinks and go watch other teams on the telly, just not Fulham. Um, let's look ahead then to Bournemouth on uh, Saturday. I mean, Jack, Bournemouth had an absolute stinker of a start this season. And I think um, a lot of people wrote off Andoni Areola very quick. I must admit, I was part of the, I believed the hype when he came in. I was there going like, I think this is a really smart move. I feel like sacking Gary O'Neill was a good decision. And not going not gonna to lie, he had me going for a while, making me doubt my... Uh, my, my trust in the people that I uh, enjoy reading and listening to online. But eventually, eventually, he's managed to uh, to crack it. And now Bournemouth, I'd say they're probably one of the one of the hottest teams in the league right now. Yeah, ish. They're, they're, a, they're a funny kind of spot right now where they're playing really well and not getting results, which is a bit of a strange place and, and one that Fulham fans have been in before but it, it it is a sense that they're right on the up and look you've got to give credit to someone like Bill Foley who's obviously the chairman for not panicking early into the early days of a new regime and for allowing this to develop because 
it was, I mean, I don't think they were ever particularly dreadful at the start of the year, but there were definitely points where it didn't feel like any of the, you know, automatic presses, triggers were working and teams were finding it relatively easy to play around the Bournemouth press. Now, I watched quite a lot of Rai Vallecano last year under Iola and they were excellent. Really, really impressive, more than the sum of their parts, able to kind of bloody the noses of the big boys at times, pushed for Europe. They were a very, very interesting side and he did a very, very good job there. And I think that's starting to translate the way that this Bournemouth team worked, the mechanisms, the different shifts he's got going, especially in the midfield where he's turned Ryan Christie from sort of a fairy number 10 into the most hardworking eight in the, in the league is pretty remarkable, to be perfectly honest with you. So quite a lot of players who are feel like they're improving as well under him. And obviously you look at Solanke, he's obviously taking the headlines. I think it was seven goals last year in the Premier League. 15 this time round already, we're talking about a player who has found his form. And look, I was a very big doubter of Dominic Solanke for long periods of his career. Um, never really thought that there was that translation from youth level into senior level, but he really does look like he's found something under Iola that that makes him a terror. And look, it's, it's very, very impressive to see what the manager's doing with that side. There's some really, really interesting players, I think, in this Bournemouth lineup. And... Yeah, they're one of the more intriguing sides in the league this year. You weren't sure quite what you were going to get. Um, and it looks like it's turned around. But as Peter mentioned in, in part one, that win over Fulham was their last one in the Premier League. They were very unlucky against West Ham. They were absolutely brilliant. They should have been about 5 nil up when West Ham equalised. And whilst they dropped off in the second half, you can understand the frustrations considering how good they were to begin with. Um, and then they drew with Forest as well, which was a little bit less impressive as a performance but look, I, I still think there's plenty to, to like about this Bournemouth side and there's plenty that Fulham should be wary of as they come to the cottage at the weekend yeah Peter have you been surprised by the way that Bournemouth season's gone the 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 horrendous it was a really bad start for me it all felt like that 2-0 win they got at home to Newcastle and this was a Newcastle side at the time that were doing pretty well um, it felt like it all turned around then because they just went on this mad run after that. I got about five wins from the next six. But yeah, there was a moment where I think everyone thought that Bournemouth were like certainties for relegation alongside Burnley and Sheffield United. It really was that dark at, at maybe kind of late October, early November. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was quite a tense moment because obviously they'd backed Iriola. They'd made changes in the transfer window. It's a new ownership. And Wolves doing so well, coming to Bournemouth and winning as well. That was a bit like, That didn't help. No, obviously everyone's out, you know, got their eye on, ready to stick the knife in because of the decision they made, you know, understandably, because O'Neill did very well. It it was pretty touch and go, like you said. Um, But I think there's also, you know, it's kind of understandable in a way, you know, Areola's come to a new country. There's the language element. I don't think his assistant came over with him from Rio. I think that's Uh, right. I think he took over the job. Which, you know, I think that's that's a big part, you know. I mean, you, you see with when Marco Silva came to Fulham, he brought his, you know, had five members of his backroom team, didn't he? So that makes that makes a big difference. And obviously it's taken a bit of time to impart his ideas for some of these younger players to you know, adapt to the Premier League. And, and now they look like a really attractive, dangerous, difficult team to play against. And that's what you want to be if you're a club of, of Bournemouth side. And I think there's certainly a good deal of relief that they went on a on a good run, um, but they have all the components really now to for a for a strong team that can can progress. You know, likes of Dom Solanke, who is their goal scorer, is is finally living up to to the potential that he's been so long 
touted for a real hardworking player um, and now a goal scorer. Um, I liked Alex Scott. I mean, we saw how well he did uh, when, when Fulham went on, on Boxing Day. He's obviously a really clever, intelligent footballer. Justin Clivert as well. It's just the way those front three sort of into, you know, intermix. And obviously Clivert was a, you know, a, a Brexit GBE decision away from joining Fulham. Um, um, previously, God damn you, so, Nigel. No, well, <laughs> let's not go that way. Um, it's, uh, you know, they've got a, they've got an attractive team and, and I think they, they'll want to win because, you know, it's when you go on these kind of runs that you start, everything gets a bit more nervous and uh, obviously Fulham are seeing that themselves. Um, so it makes for quite an interesting game because it's two teams that do really want to win, probably need a win. Um, probably full of more than Bournemouth, but um, it should should be, should be make for a fascinating contest. I do think it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, Philip Billing got sent off, Antoine Semenyo came off injured at half-time in the, in the last game. Billing didn't start, so I don't think it's going to cause them all that many problems um, in terms of that. That will be Clivert, who'll take back his starting spot. Sinistera on one flank, they could play Watara instead on, on the right-hand side and, and switch his side. I don't think they will. I think they'll go for Tavernier. But I do wonder if actually Semenyo's absence, and even if it is Tavernier in there, allows Fulham an opening. Because the one weakness that I look at in this Bournemouth side, and that this is this is quite basic because I think that if you looked at a Fulham side for years back and you went, oh, who's the oldest member of the team? And you took a crack at Tim Ream, then you would have, you may struggled. Also, oh, he's come up from the championship. Maybe we'd be able to attack that, that side um, and they would have come up against it. But I, I don't think Adam Smith is all that good. And I think that we're, we're looking at Fulham's strongest attacking lineups have always come down that left-hand side with Robinson bombing on with William, with Tom Kearney combining with the two of them. If they can get overloads on Adam Smith, who is not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm not suggesting that he is, um, but I do think he's probably the weakest member of that back line. I really like Sinesi Zabania. I think is a real, real talent. Um, and Lloyd Kelly's having a f- tremendous season coming in and out of, of centre-back and left-back, keeping Milos Kerkos, who I, again, I really, really like, out of the team. I think Smith is the one that Fulham attack and it's going to be interesting to see how that battle goes down that left-hand side of Fulham's. Um, Jack, in terms of uh, Fulham lineup, I mean, we've just still not got that much. What, what can you do? <laughs> Who's coming back in? I mean, you mentioned... Harry Wilson isn't ready yet, is he? No. Well, I mean, obviously, Marco's press conference might confirm something different, but I don't think so. Um, I would... Maybe a Dharma <laughs> I tell you what, though, I must say, uh, you said that Muniz grabbed his first goal um, on Saturday, and certainly not what I was watching, because uh, the co-commenter said it was this Munoz guy. I did see that. I don't know who that was, but um, this Munoz guy I think was that's having a great Crystal game. Crystal Palace have just signed at right back. Yes. so I was impressed when he started playing up front for us. And, um, <laughs> was, was he not in goal, Munoz? Or am I getting really confused? <laughs> was doing my head in on that. So I was just like, it's not like a diff. It's not like it was a difficult spelling. So like, it's, it's literally say it as you see it. Um, anyway, um, oh god, I I don't know what. I maybe just Kenny Tete as a change. If if Breuer starts, then maybe. If he doesn't, then no, I don't think. Like I also considering what happened with the end of the Burnley game and Kenny Tete coming on, I can imagine him not playing in this game. Um, but I do think that if Breuer starts, it would be very interesting to see if they can start to get that combination going because I think the Fulham will start to cross more again out of nowhere, and it's been something that we haven't really seen this season. 
for right. And also we saw at the start of the season when we tried to do that, it didn't work. But I do think it'd be interesting that having an aerial threat in Breuer, will Fulham start to dial that back up again? And if so, does that give an opportunity for Kenny Tete to come back into the side? So that I, I would consider that. I want to see Breuer. I really want to see him play just to, even if it's an hour, just to see what his movement's like. Because I, I think you're right, Jack. I think the, the big difference this year compared to last year is, is movement in the final third. And it was a problem at the end of last year when, when Mitrovic was suspended. It was just adjusting to where the new guy is moving. And it's not never really felt until Jimenez started to find some form that Fulham had quite worked it out. And then as soon as they did with Jimenez, he's been suspended and now injured. Um, so I'd be interested to see if whether Broglie's movements make their crosses look better, whether it means they change their style of cross, as you say. Because um, Broglie's a player who seems to, you know, he's, he's got the physical presence, he's got height, he's, he's got that side to his game. But as you said earlier, Jack, he's quick. Um, he seems quite, sh- you know, he's, he's, he's an off the, can be off the shoulder as well, which makes him yeah, almost a complete player, um, which is quite exciting. And clearly he's not reached those heights, particularly since his injury. So it'd be nice to see what that does to the rest of the Fulham attack, you know, because I feel like on the left, which has been Fulham's strength, we've seen Robinson almost improve because he's been doing lower crosses, more cutbacks that seem to work quite well. So does he then, does he change? Um so yeah, um, it should be interesting to see what what that means and um, and whether you know now that he's got a week with the team if if they they can start getting onto his wavelength because sometimes it's natural and it's quick, other times it can take a bit longer, can't it? It's yeah. also uh, fifty pounds on all of our season tickets if he doesn't hit that um, amount of games that he needs to play. So uh, <laughs> we, it's in all of our interests, I think, for for Breuer to start on uh, on Saturday. Christ! <laughs> all right, we'll take another break. Afterwards, we're getting some of your emails. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Just a few emails before we finish. This one from David Nicholson says, Evening Fulhamish. Um... I think this was a few weeks ago. He says, a noble defeat last night in the semi. As Peter Rutzler has said, it's still progress. Okay, this must have been after the Liverpool game. Anyway, it's a good email. He said, I watched the hatch. I watched the Hattricks video on the club website. It was a reminder of having a forward line containing at times Zamora, brackets when he was good, Johnson, Dempsey and Duff, and briefly Pogrebniak. I don't actually remember the football being that scintillating at the time, but not a bad set of options. Does the pod think that it was just an exceptional pool of players in a very different era, or could it be replicated affordably, given all of the concerns about FFP, etc.? Best wishes from David. I mean, it was a... a, a we, we had a hefty good amount of uh, strikers in that period. It was a different system, though. We played with two out-and-out, albeit inverted wingers, Yeah, in 
Duff and Davis with two strikers up top in Zamora and Johnson. So um, I believe Pogrebniak came back in post Zamora, right? So he was the kind of replacement. It might have been a six-month overlap, if I'm not mistaken, but there was definitely not much in it. So that was the way that Fulham set up. So it obviously completely different to the way that we set up now with a single focal point striker. And I talked about this, why we had three strikers when we only play with one feels a bit mad. But also having those wingers who cut inside and actually score more goals. And actually, the first time we saw an inverted winger, or in the modern era at least, was that Hodgson side, right? Who who played Duff and Davis inverted in order to allow them to come inside and shoot while the movement of the strikers, it helped that Andy Johnson was a channel runner. So he opened the game up for, for different players to play. I think there's a difference in the style of football we see now, but I think that you could feasibly have four goal-scoring options in your centre-forward, number 10, left-winger and right-winger. It's just that in the way that we are right now, it's much more difficult to allow all those players the space and time to get themselves on the score sheet. But we've seen it on occasion, I think, in this era. So I don't think it's the end of the world. And we definitely saw it in the championship era. Yeah. A couple more questions here. This one actually isn't so much of a question, but I enjoyed this from uh, Holly Lively who uh, said, all of I could think of when Rodrigo Muniz scored on Saturday was Baby Giraffe scores finally. <laughs> it did feel like that, didn't it? I was like, oh, I was really happy for him, man. I really want him to do well. I just don't like watching him limber around on the pitch. Like it's, It was beautiful. I was a lovely emotion. That was really touching. And also, um, Peter, I don't know if you saw the, uh, the interview that he did on the club website, his first interview in English as well. It feels like a big week for Rodrigo. <laughs> He's come on. I mean, when he joined, it was... It's probably a massive shock, and he always he's always felt like quite a young person. If that makes sense, not just in terms of yeah, age, yeah. but personality and character. And obviously, he's he's come in. He went to Borough last year, which wasn't much fun, but I think probably was quite a good sort of way in which to well, adapt to, to life over here. I suppose <laughs> enjoy the worst, yeah. Set set some set expectations a little bit, but you know, we, I think with him, you, you're drawn to his his work rate and what you know his the amount of what he puts in. Um, it's quite obvious that you know what he he wants it a lot. He's, he's, he's he could easily be a, you know a, a crowd favourite, but um, yeah, just needs to refine those rough edges. I think is the best way of, of putting it. I honestly would give him one more loan. I'd give him one more championship loan. Find, assist, find a team that suits him, hmm. and send Rodrigo Muniz out on one more championship loan. And whilst Fulham, you know strengthen in that position and if it is Raul and one more who starts next season I'm probably okay with that especially with a one striker system having and two in there. coming back and Stansfield coming back although I think if Jay comes back he is going to primarily feature as a winger considering the way that Birmingham play and considering the system change I think that we'll see more of Jay cutting in as a wide forward than as an out and out number nine because he's played with two up top at Birmingham so I wouldn't be averse to giving him one, like another loan. Now, whether that's, a, I think a championship loan would be a good thing, but I wouldn't be averse to it being a slightly more combative La Liga club either, like a Hetafe mm. or someone who plays a slightly more kind of physical style and just see what that looks like and then then make a decision on his future. Because I think him playing a bit part role at Fulham for another year isn't necessarily going to, see what we could get out of him. Whereas mm. I think getting him out there leading a line at a decent level might just 
help to round off some of those edges. Because I do think there's a player in there. I just don't think we're seeing any of it right now because I think he needs some consistent minutes. Mm. Yeah. He's also not necessarily a player who's like thriving off his youth either. He's not like a burst of pace. He's not, he's, he's someone that I think might grow into. And I think strikers do get better with age a little bit as well. They learn the places to go. Plus also he's a much more attractive proposition now to a championship club. He's a Premier League goal scorer. He's played Premier Leagues, a decent amount of Premier League minutes and he scored only okay, okay, only two goals, but he scored a good goal against Ipswich in the in the Carabao Cup, and he scored against Burnley in the Premier League. I think he's a little bit more of a of a coup than maybe he was for Middlesbrough a couple of years ago. Where okay, this is some Brazilian lad that has scored, you know, that we tried to sign and couldn't. Well, also he he scored did score goals for Fulham in our promotion season, but we scored 106 of them, so it was hard for anyone that played up front a decent amount of minutes not to score goals. I don't think it was that much of an indication of Rodrigo Muniz's talent. I think the two goals he scored this season is more impressive than the like the six or seven that he scored in the in the championship promotion yeah. season. Um, this one from TJ Fogarty just said, "Shout out TJ, yeah, from uh, from Philly Fulham, Fulham." Um, he's actually not really asked this as a question. I like that he's just given this as a statement for us to react to. Sander Burge is the Polini replacement. Not as good, but gets the job done and will stay here a while. Also, Burnley going down so we can get him for cheaper. Um, Peter, thoughts on, on Sander Burge? I mean, yeah. it would be an unremarkable replacement, but it would be a replacement that I'd go, yep, fine. I think it would work. I, I think he's a different kind of it's player. The first time but- he's been linked, right? No, exactly. Um, so he's clearly been a, he's clearly on the radar. Um, I mean, if he fits the physical profile of what Fulham want in midfield, so it make yeah, it's an option. I'd say yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, um, and final email from Thomas Noakes, titled "In Sammy's Wife's Defence." Uh, <laughs> oh God, is this Kaz's burner? Yeah, maybe Thomas Noakes. I never realised. Um, Dear Sammy, a quick bit of pod housekeeping, if I may. When your wife pointed at Sessignon during the Wigan Man United game and said, didn't he used to play for Fulham? You said she was so close to making a brilliant call, but of course she was spot on. And I reckon she knew exactly which brother she was referring to. Love the pod. Keep up the good work, you whites from Tom. Maybe, maybe I am actually playing her a disservice. Maybe she did know it was Stevie Sess after all. I must have missed this episode, so I don't oh, actually okay. know what's going on. I uh, yeah, it was actually <laughs> you and me both it, there, mate. It was me, Drew, and Paddy Barkley, and I, I can't remember how it came up, but we were watching the Wigan Man United game and Caroline saw Stevie Sessignon and said, Oh, that's Sessignon, he used to play for Fulham, right? And I was like Oh, you're so close. Because I know she was thinking about Ryan Sessignon. There's no, just, there's no, no not way. To, not no, to unless you clarified AKA it. AKA Tom Noakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you clarify it though? Did you, did well, you I ask? said, oh, that's, that's. If she went, that's Sessignon, he used to play for Fulham. She's absolutely spot on. It's correct. But, yeah. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that statement. But then I said, oh, it's so close. But he, that's actually Ryan Sessignon's twin brother, Stephen. And then she was like, oh. Who also played for Fulham? <laughs> <laughs> Did let uh, so out, didn't if you? If you'd said that, she would have gone, so I'm right. <laughs> Stephen Sessignon only, play, only played about two games. And uh, one mate, of them, I'm fairly sure, was the night before my wedding. I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure Kaz was tuned in to, to Fulham 2, Huddersfield 1. But she might have been. Maybe. I mean, potentially. Potentially. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to speak on her behalf. Maybe I, I think don't you're know. doing a disservice. I'm Tom's s- right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, Caroline. You clearly did know that that was Stephen Sessignon, and I was, 
Oh, it was too patronising to you in that moment, and I apologise. Um, just before we Next, finish... Next, she's going to be watching, like, old games and, like, Premier League retro, and she's going to be watching a Sunderland game and say, see Stefan says to me, and be like, oh, that must be Ryan and Stephen's cousin. And you're going to be like, absolutely spot on, yeah. Um, one final thing before we go. Thoughts on blue cards? It's uh, just uh, drops the announcement uh, today. The I don't like them being blue. I, like, I think that either... Football should take up the Gaelic football analogy of yellow, black and red cards. But on the whole, I'm not completely anti-Sinbin. I, I think it's a relatively sensible idea. Yeah. Peter? Yeah, I'm not against it. I prefer orange. I mean, surely that's literally, you know... the, for the colourblind people. Orange card. Ah, yeah, yeah, good point. But it would have been quite neat with the metaphor of the orange card, though. So that's a shame. Yeah, no, I don't... The actual concept is... I think makes science. I love the concepts. I think that there's too much dissent in football and there's got to be a way of eradicating it. You're never just going to do that through yellow cards, which never turn into red cards. And I'm all for taking away cynical fouls other than Zhao Polinia. Yeah, JP is going to have to adapt his game here. Yeah. <laughs> but it may mean less yellows that lead to suspensions. So there's an upside, unless, unless they also count. I think they do. Separate. So because before we came on air, Sammy and I were discussing this because we were like, what happens if you get a black card and then a yellow card? And you mean the a blue answer card is, and then a yellow card. Sorry, a blue card and then a yellow card. I'm still in Gaelic mode. Um, and the answer is you get sent off. Oh, you do. It has this, carries the same weight as a yellow card. Ah, I do so like any Simbin, combination sorry. of yellow and black, or yellow and blue. <laughs> sorry, this is really in my head. I've got, I've got no. It's the same. Yeah, um, any combination, as in Gaelic, of yellow and blue or yellow and black. Will. But then, what's the point in giving a blue? Like, if someone's because on a yellow, get, because well, yeah, if they're on if a, someone's ye- a yellow, there's no point. If giving someone's them a blue. on a yellow, they're never going to get a blue as a second yellow. But a second yellow after a blue would still see you sent off. Interesting. I do like the idea of Simbins though, because I've played in it with grassroots and it actually is quite effective I mean at least at, at that level I don't know how it works when you're playing in front of thousands and thousands of people in terms of making someone go from extremely angsty and irritable to a little bit calmer but it seemed to have an effect so um, have you ever been binned Peter? No, I'm not, no comment I'm not saying if it's me or not <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's answer enough. I think. Yeah, that's answer enough. I think we know what um, happens to Peter only ever plays eighty minutes uh, when he <laughs> plays football. <laughs> it's going to be good for eighty minute players. They're going to get a, they're going to pick one up in the like forty seventh minute or no, maybe the fifty fifth. Take a ten minute breather and back they come, full of energy. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, Peter's, Peter's actually got it figured out. Is what we don't realise here. He's like, oh, I can give myself a ten minute breather here and just say, oh yeah. Just me, I'm mouthing off the ref again. Uh, right, that'll do for the podcast today. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Peter, lovely to have you back. Oh, thank you for having me. I'll be back again soon, hopefully, once, yeah. uh, once things all iron out. Yeah. Yeah, and Jack, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. All right. Uh, George will be back on the podcast this Sunday. It's been a little everyone's while. Everyone's back. Yeah, everyone's everyone's back from gallivanting. <laughs> Sammy's banned me from hosting after the shambles of Sunday. <laughs> No, it's Farrell that I'm banned from ever being on again. That abomination of a podcast title. Uh, right, um, George will be back on Sunday uh, reviewing everything that happens in the Bournemouth game and then we'll be back with the Thursday Club this time next week looking ahead to Villa and the return of some of our players from the a Africa Cup of Nations. So uh, have a great weekend, whatever you get up to. Come on, you whites. You super eagles. Yeah.